You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. We've been in this uh, we've been in this collection called Stories, and uh, they've been a kind of unusual, uh, unexpected places in the Scripture to look at the Christmas story. Um, and uh, today is not going to be an exception to that. Uh, let me just say to you, and I, I know you may think I'm I'm joking on this one, but I am I'm gonna I am serious in what I'm about to say. There are some messages that are a little more PG thirteen in the in the scripture and as you know we don't skim over uh, anything in in the word of god but when you begin to talk about uh people like rahab and mary magdalene and their their lives before they met god etc it does get a little uh it does get a little pg-13 so if you have children uh i'm a parent and i'd like to know hey here's where we're going so if that is uh is uncomfortable at all i want you to know that uh it's coming now all the adults in the room were like, "Okay, I'm in." Yes, <laughs> this is uh, now. I'm glad I came this morning. So, at any rate, I'm just doing that respectfully, uh, having uh, raised two boys of my own. So, in these, in this, um, uh, this collection, we've looked at the four characters that make any good story. So, they're usually if it's a movie or a book or whatever it is, there are four characters that always, if one of these is missing, the story kind of sags a little bit. There's always a villain, there's always a victim, there's a lover, and there's a hero. Now, on Christmas Eve, we're going to finally get to the hero. Super excited about uh, that. And uh, so, uh, just anyway, I won't spill the beans, but anyway, I'm actually the hero. No, just kidding. Not, no, I'm not the hero. Sorry. So uh, I'm the zero, you know, <laughs> so and we'll look forward to that. But today we're going to talk about the lover. And um, when you look at a story, uh, I was just reading uh, Donald Miller. Some of you may know he wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz and wrote some other great books. He's a great, great storyteller. He actually wrote a book that's uh, recently called Story Branding, How to Tell a Good Story. And he points out that Every story with these four characters also has like an an external part of the story and an internal part of the story. So, for example, let's take Robin Hood. Robin Hood's the, you know, he's the hero. The villain is the sheriff of Nottingham. And uh, and the people are the victims because, you know, they're being overtaxed and this hardship that's being put on them. And and so that, that's kind of the external story. In other words, that's the part, that's the action part. And Robin Hood against the sheriff and, you know, all this stuff. But there's something that's internal that's in every part of the story, and it's usually romance. Usually there's a, there's a, you know, a, 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 some fire going on in the story, and that's kind of the internal thing. And in this case, of course, it's Maid Marian. And so it's not only the, that the tension is between your Robin Hood and the Sheriff of Nottingham, but there's also this tension of saving Maid Marian. And it's true when you think about it in so many stories. I mean, you think about, you know, uh, James Bond. There's always, you know, a, a, a woman to save and Ethan Hunt, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, Superman, Lois Lane. So there's this outside thing and there's this inside thing. Well, the Bible's no different. If you were to start to read the Bible, you would see that there's God and there's the villain and this action, this tension that's going all through the Bible. But there's a love story. 
And this love story, otherwise God could have just ended everything on, on page one. You know, here comes Satan, the, the villain, here comes the devil, and God could have easily just, as he is at the end of time, just going to take him out, and that's the end of the story. But the romance in the Bible is between God, the lover, and his people that he created. In fact, in the Old Testament, his, that the focus was on the nation of Israel. And goodness gracious, it's almost like a soap opera, right? I mean, they're in love with God, and God refers to himself as the husband. And he refers to his people as the bride, and, and the, his, his bride is constantly turning his back, her back on God, the lover. And so when you look at the story that's just tumultuous, and they're turning toward God, and they're turning away from God, and they're turning toward God, and they're loving God, and then they're like, where, is it? where are they in the relationship? And there are times where God is saying, you're being adulterous in this relationship, because this is a covenant much like marriage. There's sometimes that he says in the scripture, surprisingly, I'm going to put you away. I'm going to separate from you. And then there's a great reunion. And so it's just a really tumultuous story. Now, when you think about God and you say, God loves you, we've heard that so many times that we almost become inoculated to it. I'm not saying it's any less true, but we, we've heard it so many times. What we don't hear is that God is a lover. And some of you are like, hey, that's a little bit strange. But you're going to see from our story today that, the, that there is a difference between saying God loves you and God is, and God's a lover. When you have a marriage, when I'm sitting across the table from some a couple that's struggling in their marriage, I'll begin to ask questions. Are you still holding hands? Are you guys still writing notes to each other? Are you taking walks? In other words, I know you love each other. There's a covenant of marriage, but are you in love? Big difference, would you agree? Big difference. For whatever reason, my wife and I woke up at the same time this, this morning about 3 a.m. That's why I'm going to be pretty grumpy today, just to let you know. And uh, we touched hands and we were just holding hands at three in the morning. It is very, very frequent for us. So when I shake someone's hand today, uh, and, and my hands are generally freezing cold. I don't know why that is, but I, uh, I'm like, well, I'm glad I got a wife that still holds my hand. It kind of warms it up. God is holding our hand. God is a romancer. God is a lover. And sometimes you think, is that true? You'll see today in the, in, in the story that God is a lover, a radical lover. And so uh, it makes a difference because lovers act in a different way. When we come to the Christmas story, we're going to be, by the way, in the book of Hosea. Now, I know that's an unusual book, but Hosea is what's considered a minor prophet in the Bible. doesn't mean he's any less important, but you have the, the major prophets, prophets which are like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel is even considered major, and then Hosea kicks off a whole series of these short, shorter books. That's why they're called minor, uh, and Hosea is the first, okay? It's not a book that we often travel to, but I will say to you that when you get to the third chapter, I was just listening to Tim Keller this week. Some of you know Tim Keller was for decades the pastor at Redeemer Church in uh, New York City, and uh, he was referring to a good friend of his, James Boyce, who was the, for decades the pastor at the 10th Presbyterian Church in downtown Philly, and James Boyce 
claims that Hosea 3, which we're looking at today, is the greatest chapter in the Bible. I'll tell you why uh, I tend to lean into thinking it's one of the greatest. I don't know if it is the greatest. It's not black and white, but it is an enormously amazing chapter, and it's in a very strange setting. At the Christmas story, there had been 400 years of silence. God had been silent. There was darkness, as we see in the Christmas story, and physical darkness. And we begin with the shepherds. They were watching over their flocks at night. So it was was dark, but it was also dark spiritually. People had forgotten God. They were under the regime of the Roman Empire. There was a dark time. We had not heard from God in four centuries. And so through that darkness came the light. Before we get to Hosea, let me frame it by reading from Titus chapter 3, verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Merry Christmas. Just want to let you just really positive there. It's pretty dark. And then the small words of the scripture. But, you see, that, the, 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 the ands and the ifs, and, the, and uh, th- that's where the whole thing changes. I mean, if we're just reading a story and we're reading that like, wow, it's pretty dismal. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, and the original language, that means it pierced. Like there's this dark wall, and all of a sudden it's like, pow! It's almost like having a, a theater in this, you know, the heavy velvet, uh, you know, the, the heavy velvet uh, uh, curtain, and someone comes on that, pow! That's what the, the, the word for us appeared, kind of like, like kind of slithered in the back of the room. Nope, God, when the love and kindness powed into the darkness, penetrated, pierced the darkness. He saved us, not because of our righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. Again, that original language, love and kindness, seem so so tame almost. But the original intent of the language of love and kindness, it suggests that someone is giving a ransom for a captive. You see, we're, we were captive to foolishness and disobedience and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures and mouths and envy and being hated and hating one another and just grinding it. And God could see, man, this is not working, so I'm going to pierce through and take ransom the captives because we become captive in all of that. So now we find ourselves in this, this, this strange story of Hosea. So when you look at the stories that are found in the Bible, and then God will give an assignment to a Moses, to a Daniel, to a Gideon, to an Isaiah. I was thinking, I'm not sure that there's any one of those that I can think of that the assignment is not crazy. Moses, I know the enemy is bearing down on you. So what I want you to do is stand at the edge of the Red Sea and hold this stick up. Thank you. That is very comforting. Yes, very comforting. Daniel, I'm going to put you in a lion's den. 
uh, Gideon. We're going to reduce your army to just a few hundred, and we're going to really beat them with a bunch of jars, glass jars and trumpets. Good luck. Get out there and go for it. Every assignment of God. Hey, Peter, let's take a stroll, shall we? And let's do it on top of water. Every assignment is, is almost insane. It's ridiculous. This one tops them all. God comes to Hosea. It's his first assignment. When you look at the history, Hosea was a prophet for God for decades. And I have to go and do the, I forget, I've read this week, but it's like 50 years. I mean, it's a great span. He only gets a little small, you know, real estate here in the Bible, but he was a, he was a great prophet. Here comes the first assignment in Hosea chapter 1 and verse 2. When the Lord first spoke with and through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take to yourself a wife of harlotry. Go marry a prostitute and have children of her harlotry. For the Lord commits great whoredom by departing from the Lord. Wow. That is far removed from most Christmas stories I've ever heard. I don't know about you. God is speaking now as, as the husband lover about to Hosea, through Hosea, to his bride at the time, Israel. We now as a church are part of that. We are now the bride of Christ. And he's telling Hosea to marry this woman who is going to be unfaithful to him, who is going to be adulterous to him. Her name was Gomer. That doesn't help. <laughs> Her middle name was Pyle. Just sorry. I'm kidding. <laughs> Counting on God as a sense of humor. Yes. So here are some things about a lover that we learn. Lovers are radical. See, I mean, if you're just kind of having puppy love, that's different. But when you're in love, I mean, when you are, you will go to the nth degree. Lovers are radical. God was so radically in love with his bride that he was willing to ask a man, a prophet, a pastor, a shepherd, go marry a woman that is going to break your heart. And she's going to break your heart professionally. Can you imagine? She is going to and continue to do it because he said, and I want you to have children in the midst of her profession. Okay, I'm making it a little PG-13 here, but you understand as adults. In other words, in the midst of her continually doing this, I want you not only to marry her, but to have children and have a family while she's still doing it. crazy. But he said, I, my love is so radically deep for my bride that I want you to know how deeply I'm hurt in this relationship. It means that much. And somehow along the years, you're not getting the picture. So I'm going to do something radical. And I'm going to ask the man of God to do something so radical as this. John 3.16, perhaps the most well-known verse in the Bible. But there's a two-letter word in there. Watch this. I, I 
put in parentheses, uh, this extra word. For God so loved the world, so radically loved the world. It, it wasn't like God, so, God loved the world and he gave his son. Unto us a child is born. It sounds so soft. No, that word so means he loved it to the degree of doing something so radical that he sent his own boy to be stripped, to be beat, and to die on a cross. My concern sometimes with us as Christ followers is that we forget the price. We forget the depth. We forget the radical move on God's part when he pierced into the darkness of history and said, take my son, my only son, to die for you who have turned your back on me as adulterers. It sounds so wonderful to sing, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. But behind that is a radical love. Why in the world are we talking about this? Because I think the world has a way, culture has a way, busyness has a way. Our brokenness and our imperfection has a way to reduce the potency of the love of our Creator. You know, in some faiths, some religions, some major religions of the world, respectfully said, God is more distant. God is impersonal. God doesn't have these emotions. But the God of the Bible, his love is so deep and so radical that he, we he weeps. He gets angry. He has these emotions. And to this degree, we're learning this. And here's why it's important. God's love is not mild. God's love is intense, and he and a lover just keeps at it and at it in radical ways. God so radically loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Lovers are radical. Here's the second thing. I don't know if you've noticed about lovers. If you are one, you'll recognize this. Lovers get jealous. You know, if you're just mildly in love with somebody, you're not going to get that. You're not going to get all that, you know, uh, uptight about someone, you know, closing in on the one that you love. But man, when you're radically in love, you better keep away from my woman. God was jealous. Watch this. In Hosea chapter 2, if you flip over to the next chapter in verse 5. Speaking of Israel at the time, God's people, she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food, my water, my clothing, my wool, my linen, my oil, my drink. You see, what happened is they took all the resources. We have them. We have jobs. We have grocery stores. We take all of our resources and we call them the source. Our resources are not the source. I was standing in a paint store yesterday. I'm like, it's, it's getting a little crazy. I had to wait four days for a can of paint. Does the word shortage mean anything to anybody in the room? And I'm looking, I'm like, there's hardly any paint. I'm like, we're in America, we're not used to this. Like, what? I came in thinking, you're going to give me like 14 different variations of a can of paint, and you've only got one over there. 
Many people around the world are used to this, but we're not used to this because we have endless, what seemingly looks like endless resources. And in those endless resources, we can say, that's the source of my joy. That's the source of my peace. Those things are going to be, the resources are never the source. God is only the source. That's what he's saying. He said, I'm going to go after my lovers and who give me food, my water, wool, linen, oil, drink. Therefore, because I am jealous, God is saying to his bride, I'll block her path with thorn bushes. I'll wall her in so she can't find her way. Like I'm holding on to her. She will chase after her lovers, but she's not going to catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. She will say, I will go back to my husband as his first because I was much better off. You see, there's a jealousy going on here that God is like, I'm just not going to let you go. Normally, jealousy is not a good thing, right? We would say, hey, that's not a good thing to be jealous. But in this case, jealousy is beautiful because it says that our God, our lover, will not stop chasing us. We need our God to be jealous. We, need, we want him to be jealous over us. Here's a definition, by the way, because envy and, and jealousy are kind of kissing cousins. We are envious of another person's possession. Man, I wish I had a truck like that. But we're jealous of our own possessions. You see, in this case, God is jealous because we are his. We are, he created us. Watch this in Psalm 100. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his We are his people. That's why he becomes jealous. The sheep of his pasture. In Hosea chapter 10, or 2, verse 10, he says, I'm going to expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers, and no one will take her out of my hand because I jealously and radically love her. All right. When things happen in our life, and they're not so great things, There are these times where I think, why is this happening to us? I can't believe these are happening. And I find, I don't know about you, I find in those moments that I'm like, you know, God's not against me. He's actually for me. Because in the the times of difficulty, I seem to have a greater awareness of God than when things are going perfectly. How about you? When I have all the resources flowing into my life endlessly with no struggle, no tension at all, it's knock, knock. Thank you. You're so, thank you. Thank you, Ruth. Made me feel good. Knock, knock. God. Exactly. (laughs) Those are the moments, right? We're like, well, God who? I mean, I don't need God because my resources have become my source. And sometimes God is saying, oh, don't do that because you will always be dissatisfied. That's why God pierces the darkness. In fact, you know, let me, let me say this to you because I know that there are people sitting in this room. I know it. And I know there are people sitting at home that somehow you think that God's love can be dimmed higher and lower like these lights. But if these lights would represent God's love and you went back and dimmed them and you pulled the dimmer down and the lights didn't dim, that's God's love. You may, I think the, I think the dimmer is broken. No, the dimmer's not broken. 
The dimmer is working full strong, but the, the lights cannot dim. What do I mean by that? You see, God doesn't just love you, but the Bible says God is love. Water doesn't just make you wet. Water is wet. Water cannot not be wet, right? Water is wet all the time. What that means is that God is love. That means he cannot not love. Oh, I really blew it last Friday. God's love didn't dim. But as human beings, because we deal with other human beings who are conditional, and we you know, say something off, or we don't do this, and now we don't think they like us anymore, and you know, all that stuff, God's love is not that way. There's some people in, 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 sitting right here who grew up in an abusive home. And it's very tough to divorce who God really is and the parent or the person that abused you in your life. It's painful and it's tough. But the Bible says that God is different. God is perfect. God is flawless. God is love. And God is radically in love with you. And no matter who you are or what you've done, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking that he might love me a little bit less, I'm here to tell you that the good news of the Bible is that he cannot. He doesn't have the capacity to love you less. His love is like a full fire hose and that you're trying to turn off sometimes and it's still coming out. That's God. The same thing is true with his jealousy over you in the best of ways. Watch this. Exodus chapter 34, verse 14. Do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous. That's crazy, right? He's a jealous guy. His name is jealous. Oh, he is Prince of Peace. He is Emmanuel. He is Mighty God, Everlasting Father. He is uh, the Good Shepherd. His name is Jealous. He's a, what? That, that, that doesn't even seem like it should be in the list, right? But God's jealousy is beautiful. Lovers are radical. Lovers are jealous. Here's the final thing. And now we land in Hosea chapter 3. You could say that the whole plot of the Bible with, with hero and villain and lover and victim all converge right in this amazing picture. I wonder what it was like for, for Hosea to have a wife that was continually unfaithful, to see it, to see other men with her, to be raising children, because they had children, constantly, constantly unfaithful, to see that every day. How difficult would that be? How did he keep going? Why didn't he just say, okay, you know what? Forget it. I'm out of here. And then we come to this amazing, this amazing moment. And here's what we learn. True lovers, they're relentless. They don't give up. They're going to keep on and keep on and keep on and keep on. And when you read the great love story of human history, we have a God who is relentless. He just won't give up. Watch what happens in Hosea chapter 2. Watch this. I am now going to allure her. You know what that means? That's Barry White. Hey, baby. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. 
Oh, yeah. It's very subtle. Guys, I'm giving you a lesson here. Lower the voice. Hey, baby. Just give one of those. Am I right? Huh? That's good. Not even looking at me. I'm now going to allure her, which means romance her. This is Hosea. Is go, going to romance the girl that's breaking his heart every day. This is the God wants. He's he's saying, I'm painting a picture. You break my heart, I romance you. You break my heart, I'm going to relentlessly pursue you. You break my heart, I cannot and I will not give up. No matter what, I will allure her. Watch this. And I'll lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to to her. I told you. That's the hey baby part. (laughs) Wow, what a God we have. I'm so glad we've got a God of emotions. I'm so glad our God is not a stick, a pole, a trophy, iron, brass, wood. I'm glad God is not religion. I'm God glad it's just not a God is not a concept. I'm, God, I'm glad God is not a big bang. I'm glad he's not a theory. I'm glad he's a person, that he's a being, that he loves, he pursues, he cries, he, he anguishes, he's jealous. We have a great God. And he also speaks tenderly. Wow. Now watch this. Hosea chapter 3 and verse 1. The Lord said to me, Hosea is speaking, Go and show your love to your wife again. Even though she is loved by another, and even though she is an adulteress, and even though she is loved by another and is adulterous, love her as the Lord loves his people. There it is right there. If you ever doubt it, that God would love you no matter what you've done, there it is in black and white in God's love letter. Love her as the Lord loves his people, even though they turn to other resources all the time. Then what happens is stunning. The next verse, Hosea 3.2. So I bought her. You bought her? You see, in that culture, what that meant was Just like the woman caught in the adultery in Jesus' time, everybody knew it. Just like the woman at the well, everybody knew it. Everybody knew Gomer was a prostitute. And it had gotten so low that she found herself selling herself out on an auction block, most likely stripped. And Hosea, Hosea, her husband, think about the humility. I'm going to walk into a public square to see my wife being auctioned off. And I'm going to raise my hand. And I'm going to say, I'll buy her. It kind of reminds you of a savior. 
who came down in the public square were stripped and beaten and exposed and put himself on a cross for all the gomers of the world, including me, and said, I'll pay it. I'll buy it. Watch this. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver, about 10 10 bushels of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days, which means forever. You're to live with me. John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. I have built a place for you. I got a home for you. And I want you to be where I am. You are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man if any, any longer. And I'm going to live with you. Now, it's interesting that 10 bushels of barley cost about 15 shekels of silver. 15 shekels of silver plus 15 shekels of silver equal about 30 pieces of silver. So if you know the story, our Lord was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Not only that, but if you start digging around in the Old Testament, what in the world was barley? Anybody had any barley recently? I don't know, maybe it's in our Captain Crunch somewhere. Because it was considered a cereal offer, uh, offering in the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 5, you can read it later. Barley was the poorest offering that could possibly ever be offered. In other words, it was a poor man's offering. Jesus Christ came to the public square, was willing to be stripped to purchase us, and he became poor for our sakes that we might become rich. The gospel according to Hosea. And that offering of barley in Numbers chapter 5 had one purpose. It was to be given and offered by a husband who recognized and suspected that his wife was being unfaithful. It is an incredible story. Christ came and he purchased us from the public square. That's why we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 19, you are not your own. You are bought with a price, the highest price ever paid in human history. You know, when there have been tragedies in the world, terrorist attacks and whatnot, like the one in Paris, you often see this frame, this phrase, I am Paris, right? You've seen it on You've seen it on uh, uh, Facebook, social media. Here's one for you. I am Gomer. I am Gomer. And you are too. And through the darkness of us depending on everything except God, he pierces and says, I come to pursue you relentlessly, radically, Jealously, I've come, God, the lover, 
What an amazing Christmas story. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.